Morning. Morning to those watching from home as well this morning. We are uh, been in a study since really last uh, September in the book of 1 Corinthians, if you were here last week. And we are continuing in the book of 1 Corinthians, really where we left off last week. But it's a new series introduced by that um, brief video because we're having a new topic. So not, you know, the Bible books, as many of you know, they're not like a table of contents. They're not so rigid. Um, The apostle, especially here, but really in all the letters, is sort of responding to real-time issues, real-time challenges in these congregations. He's writing the New Testament theology real-time. But you do see there are times when he sort of pivots from one topic to another. We see that in these next four chapters. So it's It's a new series because it's a new subject matter. We'll still be talking about in these weeks rights and freedoms, which we talked about the last three weeks. But rather than talking about the life of the church in the world, we're talking about the life of the church within the church, right? The life of the church within the church. The next four uh, chapters, the next six weeks, including this one, we're going to be talking about the worship community. But keep in mind, when these letters were written, this was all brand new. People worshipped God for a a thousand years, but they didn't worship Him in the same way that they do now. And these, if you want to call them rules, these organizing principles, they were being written right in the moment by the Apostle Paul and other writers. So that's what we're going to be talking about. What specifically, Rob, are we talking about? What does it mean to gather and what issues are being addressed? Well, to start this morning, the roles of men and women. They changed from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. The Lord's table, or what we call communion, that didn't exist. That's a huge subject in and of itself. The spiritual gifts that are found in the scriptures, including prophecy, where we'll end this series. All of these things are grouped together, chapters 11 through 14, because they all pertain to the gathering community that we are experiencing here this morning. Now, before I dive in to today's uh, passage, let me say a couple things by way of introduction um, to this particular sermon not to this particular uh, series. Number one, this passage that we're about to read is one of the most complex, the most controversial, the most opaque, I would say, of, by, of, in, in, of comparable length in all of the New Testament. Okay? I don't know if you've heard a sermon out of this passage. Maybe you have. I don't know that I have. I hope uh, before this service is over, Um, This will not be the weirdest sermon you've ever heard, but I think it will probably be from the weirdest text, maybe, I'm talking about Bible text, that you've ever heard. Okay, point one. Point two, if I were to, I don't know, put a list of all of the conservative theological doctrines, or I should say major theological doctrines, like we did last year, if you were here, January, February, we went over the uh, core beliefs, even our articles of faith, I would say of all the, let's call them conservative pastors, conservative scholars, you know, I would put myself in that number as, as, in the sense of a pastor, people that have a, an orthodox view, they agree on all of those major issues that we talked about last uh, year ago this time. I'm talking about the major core doctrines of the faith, the Trinity, who is Jesus, the Holy Spirit, you know, uh, 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 the, 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 the work of the church, you know, the, uh, the importance of evangelism, the, the, you know, heaven and hell, these major issues 
100% agreement. But on this issue, this same group of conservative scholars and theologians, there is some disagreement, okay? particularly in the last 50 years. I'm talking about, we'll get there in a minute, the role of men and women in the church. Now let me say this about it. In my opinion, but not just my opinion, in the opinion of most uh, uh, scholars and, and pastors, and even, I think, if you re- listen carefully to the words we'll read in a second, the Apostle Paul, this is a um, secondary or tertiary issue. You say, well, Rob, what does that mean? Isn't all the Bible cover to cover true? Yes, it's all God's word in my opinion, in your opinion, I think. If this is God's word, it's all true. But not all truths, I'm talking about actual doctrines, particular articles of faith, have the same weight, okay, Right? They don't all have the same weight. Some things are more important than other. The deity of Jesus may be more important than something else. You understand what I'm trying to say? So they don't have the same weight. Many would say, I would say, this doctrine, we're going to talk about this morning, this teaching, is secondary, maybe tertiary. I think you'll see the Apostle Paul believes the same thing in the way that he talks about it. Now, I'm confident, I don't have to even finish this sermon, to know that not only is there disagreement among thoughtful people, um, you know, writers and scholars, there's, thought, there's disagreement among the people in this room. Okay? I know there is. Um, but my hope is that people in the church can, can do what people outside of the church don't do so well. We can get along. We can agree to disagree on some points and model a different way. Amen? Okay. Let's open up. You have a copy of the Bible uh, to a message titled, God's Design for Men and Women in the Church, you might say. 1 Corinthians 11, where we left off last week, 3 through 16. Follow along as I read these words. But I want you to realize, Apostle Paul writing to this church, the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is the same as having her head shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, she might as well have her hair cut off. But if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, then she should cover her head. A man ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. For man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was, there, was man created for woman, but woman for man. It is for this reason that a woman ought to have authority over her own head because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as woman came from man, so also man is born of woman, but everything comes from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him? But that if a woman has long hair, it is her glory? For long hair is given to her as a covering. If anyone wants to be contentious about this, we have no other practice, nor do the churches of God. Now, I know what you're thinking. How, in God's name, are you going to come up with a sermon out of that? Okay? Now, a couple things. Uh, Let's start with a very positive thing that I think is in this passage. The gospel changes everything. 
what you see happening right now in this uh, story is the Apostle Paul is writing theology, right? This isn't a small little, you know, uh, tweak to the weekend plan. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. The law was fulfilled. Jesus Christ is the end of the law for righteousness for all who believe Romans 10. Everything changed overnight. And people still, yes, Jesus was the Jewish Messiah, and yes, Jesus fulfilled all of the, the, the promises of the Jewish faith. It becomes Christianity. Wow. Now try to tell people how to do church. We're writing theology real time. Now, what's the surface issue? The surface issue here, which is why most pastors skip it, and maybe in 25 minutes you'll say, you should have, right? Okay. <laughs> uh, the, the reason it's the surface issue is really head coverings. But really, if you read carefully this passage, it's really about how women wear their hair in church. That's really the surface issue of these words. It's not something that we deal with in this church or in virtually at most churches across the world. But it's more 21st century than you might imagine. The cover of yesterday's New York Times, the largest newspaper in the world, as far as I know, had this picture on it and this was the headline their hair long and flowing or in ponytails women in iran flaunt their locks can you i thought to myself either god has a sense of humor or he wants to say rob i know you're anxious about this sermon i love you and i want you to know that i'm with you okay so this is not an issue. It's an issue for some, okay? It's exactly really what we're talking about in this passage. It's how women wear their hair in church, in a manner of speaking. It's not something that we deal with, but let me say this. I think you would agree, many of you. Why don't we just skip this sermon? Because, what are you laughing at? Uh, because... <laughs> I think many of you believe this. I think it's 1st or 2nd Timothy chapter 3. All scripture um, is given by God and is profitable for teaching, for, for correction, for instruction in righteousness for, for all men and women. All scriptures would apply to us, including this one. And I think it does. Okay, we have to do our work. So this is for us too. Now, it's important to remember that the Bible of the early church, which is what we're talking about, right? We can turn to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and 1 Corinthians. They could not. It was being written. The Bible of the early church was the Old Testament. And the Old Testament, before the gospel was, had, impl- had, had come to life in the... Pa- the, the gospel had changed everything. That's what I'm, my point is. Everything had changed. The rules had changed. But the, the apostles are catching up with that. That's what they're writing. Like in this small issue, but there are a lot of bigger issues that are being outlined. How do you make sense of the teachings of the Old Testament now that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead? This is just a small issue. But the apostle has to do this. But the Bible was the Old Testament. And in the Old Covenant, when they got together to go to church like we are, the, the person in the front of the room would say, turn to 2 Kings. Okay? They couldn't turn to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John yet. They had to make sense of the Old Testament. And in that covenant, in that system, when men came to church or went, went to church as they're reading the Old Testament, they had to wear a covering on their head, okay, in the Old Covenant. And women 
When they went to church in the sense of the tabernacle or the temple, they were behind a screen, not in the same place as men. They, could not, they were out of sight, right? So this is how it happened. This is what was going on to the people. And Paul's trying to say, listen, the rules have changed. And the fact that women were not only in another room behind a screen and had their head covered, that reality was mirrored in the everyday culture. It wasn't just what the, what, the, what the Jews did when they went to synagogue or they went to temple. It's what the culture did. So women wore their hair in a certain way, not just in church. They wore it at Wegmans. They wore it at the mall. They wore it in the marketplace. It was part of the traditional culture. Okay? It's part of the traditional culture. It happened everywhere. And as a church... As it was growing, some of the cultural practices dropped overnight. They didn't need to do them anymore, okay? But some of them, they were of less significance than others, and they didn't have to change overnight because Paul's saying, listen, don't go too fast, too far, too fast. Because in this culture, as you just saw by that photograph, not in our country, but in other countries, for a woman just to simply have her hair down, this is what it meant. I'm available. I'm available. Now that, and, and so what he's saying in this passage is, if, if I was married and I was with my wife and we were at Wegmans or we were at the church and what the signal said was, I'm available, that would be a disgrace to me because she actually isn't available. Now you and I laugh at that because it's not our culture, but it was here. Okay? And Paul's saying, listen, don't go too far too fast. So whatever you think, okay, of this past, there's a lot of positive here in this past. A lot has changed. What's changed? Men and women are worshiping together. Men do not have their heads covered, which they used to do. And women, verse 5, wait for it, are praying and prophesying, which means teaching, in the church service. Okay? That's big. So whatever you might think of this passage, what it says overall about the role of women at the home or in the church, or how this may seem to contradict a couple other key passages, 1 Corinthians 14, 1 Timothy 2, it's important to know that the freedom expressed in the worship gathering here in this letter in the church was unprecedented and even seen as scandalous by the people on the outside. Okay, That's what the Apostle Paul is trying to say. The Apostle Paul, verse 16, is telling you, this is not a top priority issue for me. If anyone wants to be contentious about this, we have no other practice. This isn't a make or break issue for me. But he's concerned about the viability and the testimony of this young church. Right? That's what he's writing about. Because here's, what's the, here's what he's saying in so many words, not just in this passage. A lot is going to change. In fact, I won't, I won't live to see many of the changes, but this huge racial divide that the New Testament is rife with, talking about Jews and Gentiles, that's going to change. These people wouldn't even be in the same room with each other. That's going to change in rooms like this one. The way people treat children, I hope, I mean, we, we, we have, Christians especially, we honor children, we want to raise children, we love children, we, we profile children as church was up And children in, in, in this culture or an afterthought. Paul says, that's going to change. Maybe not in my lifetime. How about the roles of women, women's rights? That's going to change. Christianity did more for women, whether you get it or not, 
than any other uh, thing in the history of the human uh, experience. Slavery. Slavery. It took, I don't know, 18, 1900 years, but, you know, uh, things are going to take time. Paul's saying, listen, a lot of things aren't going to happen in my lifetime. The gospel changes everything, but we need not to go too far too fast because people are going to think we're crazy, right? Okay, that's what he's trying to say. The gospel changes everything. Second thing, we are not like the angels yet. That's what he's saying in this passage. You could say you're not like the angels yet, right? You could say that the Apostle Paul is walking a fine line in this, question, in, in this passage, right? In one sense, what he's saying here is very liberating to women in this day. Remember, read the Bible, put yourself in the position here first before you apply it to your own life. Very liberating. Why is that, Pastor? Well, verse 5 says, women are now with men in the worship gathering and they're, and, they're, and they're praying and they're prophesying. And verse 11 and 12 says, they're no longer in a dependent relationship with men. Right? Traditional culture, patriarchal society. They are now interdependent. I'm sure he used the word interdependent. For a reason. So he's saying, listen, in one sense, this is a very liberating passage for women, but also at the same time, verse 8 and 9, he goes back to the book of Genesis. For a man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for a woman, but woman for man. Goes back to Genesis to affirm male leadership. Okay? In the home and in the church. Now, you might say, um, is Paul speaking out of both sides of his mouth? He's just being a people pleaser. Okay. I don't think so. He's not speaking out of both sides of his mouth. He's speaking about two different perspectives and two different worlds that are coming together. He's talking about the doctrine of creation, which is where he's getting some of his quotes, and the doctrine of redemption. That this is the way God made the world and this is how Jesus Christ and the resurrection has changed the world. And Paul's saying, these two things have come into conflict and I'm gonna do my best right now, not just in this letter, to try to tell us how to live. Okay, that's what he's trying to do. A new world is coming, right? A new world is, everything has changed. Jesus Christ fulfilled the law for us, right? Everything has changed. A new world is coming, but for now, our feet and our heads right, still live in this world. Okay? That's what he's trying to say. If you're a Christian here today, you've been given new life in Jesus, and your new life has begun. You've heard this passage a hundred times, if not a thousand. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but wait for it, have eternal life. You get eternal life when you become a Christian. The new world begins that day in your heart. We call it being born again. Okay? But the new body, the new body, in terms of sexuality, is still a mystery. And you need to wait for it. We are not angels yet. Okay? We are not angels. 1 John 3, 2. Dear friends... Now we are children of God, present tense. 
the Apostle John. And what we will be has not yet been made known. I mean, Jesus said, you're going to be like the angels. There's not going to be marriage in heaven. Something that means something. But we know that when Christ appears, talking about the second coming, we shall be like him, for then we shall see him as he is. The Apostle Paul is trying to say that both men and women are made in the image of God, Genesis 1.27. Equal dignity and interdependent, verse 11 and 12. But it does not mean that all the differences between men and women are blurred or eradicated. Okay? In the home and in the church, men are called to lead. Not because they're smarter, not because they're more capable, but because God has assigned that to them in creation for this side of heaven. Okay? But it's not because... They're better. It's a calling. It's a responsibility, not a right. Both men and women, verse 12, are, are, are to depend on God and called to live, particularly in marriage, and then you might say in the life of the church, the home in the church. They're called to both depend on God, but to live as complementary partners. One's not better than the other, but they have different roles, at least in this life. That's what Paul's trying to, trying to walk this fine line. I, I mentioned this, maybe it was, I don't know, a month or so ago, uh, in the books that I put in, an, in a newsletter about the series we did in January, Relationships. We did a couple on marriage, what does the Bible say? The, the book was Tim Keller and Kathy Keller's book called The Meaning of Marriage. Great book. It's, you know, 250 pages, really a commentary on Ephesians 5. But I heard him and his wife together speak one time on this issue, the, uh, in, in this subject, and they were basically affirming what's going on. He said, listen, my best understanding is that men and women are called in this side of heaven to be interdependent, using even those words here. And he said, we've been married for almost 40 years, and um, we, 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 we wrestle it out together. We're interdependent. But maybe four or five times in 40 years, we've come to an impasse. And it is our conviction, Kathy and Tim, that, um, that I, as the husband in this covenant marriage, need to make the call. So he gave one example. They, he's only pastored two churches. One was in a, rural a very rural town in um, Virginia. Okay? And they did that, and they had their three little kids. And then at 38 years old he gets a call from God to go to, of all places, New York City. And he's saying to himself, I know my wife's not going to be super excited about moving to New York City with three little kids where it costs a fortune to live and, and it's probably not the greatest place to raise a kid. So he says, I went to her and I said, Kathy, I, I, um, you know, I feel the Lord's called us to go to New York City, but if you don't want to go, we won't go. Now, he, he preambled this by saying, I want to say something about me and my wife. He said, um, I'm not a man's man. In other words, I don't hunt and fish. <laughs> kind of thing. And he said, my wife is not a, you know, the stereotypical uh, 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 f femininity. And he said something like, she's not buttons and bows. Okay, that's what he said. 
So in a lot of these stereotypes are what gets in the way. Those are not biblical. Those are st- cultural stereotypes. But he said, listen, but, but I, I want you to know that's who we are. But I said to my wife, if you don't want to go, we won't go. And she looked at him and said, don't lay that on me. <laughs> Be a man. Make a decision. And if you decide to go, we'll go with you. Okay? It's important. Let me say one other thing. You see this deference, that's the word I'll use, is rooted in the Trinity itself. And I'm sure that's why Paul put this here. He's no dummy. But I want you to realize, he knows he's walking on a fine line here, that the head of every man is Christ, the head of the woman is the man, wait for it, and the head of Christ is God. He's saying this deference, this side of heaven, before you decide it's crazy, before you throw it overboard, before you decide all, you know, you know, Wheels off. All distinctions go out the window. We can be in heaven now. We can be angels now. Remember that Jesus Christ, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one, three persons, one God, all equal God, God the Son, God the Father, God the Spirit, but for the purposes of redemption, Jesus says in John 14, 8, 14, 28, the Father is greater than I, and I do everything the Father tells me to do. Is he saying that, that he's less than God? No. Is he saying the Father's better than him? No. He's saying I have a functional deference for the purposes I've been called to exercise in redemption. Okay? And what Paul is saying relative to men and women in this side of heaven is similar to that. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Pastors, love your churches as you know, Christ loved his church. Very important that we understand that it's a willing deference. I'm talking about Jesus and the Father. It's not a denigration, it's expression of love. The created distinction between men and women, this is what I think this passage is telling us, what the New Testament is telling us. The created distinction, created, it goes back to Genesis, between men and women should be honored in the church and home this side of heaven. Attempts to transcend or eradicate gender differences or all symbols of these differences, which is what we're really talking about in this passage, is premature and presumptuous because we are not angels yet. Okay? We are not angels yet. Now, let me say this. If you disagree, if this rubs you the wrong way, and I'm sure some of us it does, I hope it's for the right reasons. Okay? Because most people that I talk to, even my own wrestling in my own hot mind at times, they're fighting on this issue, men and women, their roles in the home and in the church. They're fighting not against what the Bible says, But the abuses of men, the abuses of husbands, the abuses of pastors in the way that it's interpreted. It's a big difference. Okay? The fact that Mr. Smith or Pastor Smith decided to turn this into some kind of heavy-handed, you know, regressive authoritarianism, that's on him. We need, to be, we need to differentiate that, even though we have many people, even in this congregation, I'm sure, I'm confident, women who have suffered at abusive um, husbands, I mean, that are taking it 
women can be abusive too, but I mean, they're taking their, their, their chapter and verse they think from what the Bible says. Do what I say because I say it and the Bible's behind me. And we need to acknowledge that and we need to be compassionate to all of those uh, women past and present. That's a sin against God. It's a horrible evil. It's not what this is saying. And there are pastors who do the same thing. Who take this because the church and the home are using the same um, logic, the same uh, uh, paradigm that say, do what I say and shut up and, and get in line. And that's abusive, that's wrong. And many people have been hurt and we need to acknowledge that. But we should not, Paul's saying, I'm saying, throw the baby out with the bathwater. There is nothing regressive, dictatorial, or heavy-handed about Christ's relationship with his father or his church. That's what Ephesians 5 is really all about. You get to the end of Ephesians 5, we read this about a month ago, and after all this interesting interplay between, I'm talking about husbands and wives, and then he's talking about Christ and the church, and he says, this is a great mystery. I think it's, he says, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. It's about the gathering. It's about who we are this side of heaven. The gospel changes everything, you know, uh, and it's still changing everything, right? Not just in society, but in the human heart, mine and yours included, okay? The gospel changes everything, but we need to be careful. We are not like angels yet. We should not be presumptuous that we know what it's going to look like on the other side because we don't and God didn't tell us he gave us some hints but he didn't tell us and it's our challenge to, to, to live in the tension in humility and deference to Christ even that great Ephesians passage we often skip verse 21 it says submit to one another out of deference to Christ. Whatever you're called to do at the home and the church, ultimately you're doing it out of your reverence for Jesus Christ. Okay. The gospel changes everything. We're not like angels now. This last point is a way to close this sermon, but really to introduce the next five weeks. Okay. God is among us. God is among us. The gathering. It is, not, it is for this reason that a woman ought to have authority over her head, confusing, because of the angels. Now, if you're into reading biblical commentaries, have fun. <laughs> okay. What in the world is he talking about? And the craziest theories, some, are written in, in books. But I'll tell you what seems to be the, one of the most obvious things he's saying. Maybe not the only thing he's saying, but it might be the most obvious Whatever I'm saying here about the way men and women ought to uh, respond and, and, and exercise their authority in the church, they need to do it carefully because God is among you. That's what he's, I think that's what he's saying. The angels are here because of the angels. One of the overall themes that these chapters talk about is recognizing that God is with us in 
our corporate gatherings. Yes, he's with you in your home. Yes, he's with you in your car. Yes, he's with you in your office. I believe all that. God is with us. He's in in us. But he's with us here in a different way. And he wants us to experience him here in a different way. To experience the freedom of the gospel in a different way. It is important to be in church. I'm talking about being in this room. God is with us. Matthew 18, 20. For where two or three gather in my name. Okay? Now when Jesus said these words, what you and I call the New Testament church hadn't been born yet. But this was the, this was the uh, road math. Jesus is laying, laying these, the tracks, right? Where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them, right? So yes, he's in your home. Of course he's in your heart if you're a Christian, but he's here in a different way. Are we taking advantage of that? Do we understand that? That in the public proclamation of the word, in the singing of the, of, of the truths of God, God is with us. Are, are we experiencing greater freedom as we listen to the word of God, taught, preached, prayed. Luke eleven thirteen. If you, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Okay? Those who ask him. Now, what is Jesus saying there? Am I saying, if you're a Christian, I thought I have the Holy Spirit. I believe that. So Jesus isn't saying, you, you know, you got, you got half a loaf, you need the other half. I don't think that's what he's saying. But what I, I think what he's talking about is, is the thing that I need the most in my life. It takes a while to figure this out. Some of us, you know, we think we need a new job. We, we think we need a cure for this disease. We, I mean, these are the top things we need. We need a better uh, 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 marriage. We, there, we, we'd like some more money. There's all these things that we pray about, and they're all appropriate. But it's a priority thing. It's a maturity thing. What, what Jesus is saying is the thing that you need the most, the thing that we need the most, far and above everything else, is more experience with the Holy Spirit of God. Because the Holy Spirit of God is the person of God, the agency of God, that takes the power of God and brings it to life in your mind, brings it to life in your heart, brings it to life in, your, uh, in relationships, brings it to life in your behaviors, who opens your mind. Sh- uh, Lord, uh, Psalm 119, uh, verse 18, open my eyes that I might see wonderful things out of your law. That's what you need. That's what I need. And this is what one of the things that we ought to be experiencing at greater level in the corporate gathering, okay? The gospel changes everything. We are not angels yet. God is among us. So I'm going to close, and I'm going to close in just maybe a half a minute or so, but I would just want to take a, a minute, a half a minute, everyone in a position of prayer. I just want you to think about in your own words, in your own way, right? Apply this Luke verse. Ask God for a greater 
experience, a greater control, a greater filling of the Holy Spirit. Right? Let's just take half a minute and I'll pray. Our God and Father, we come to you this morning as gathered, uh, you know, men and women, uh, students, young and old, your people. Uh, Lord, with a, a sincere desire, mine is, ours is, I believe, to um, experience you at greater and greater levels of um, wisdom and power and truth. Lord, we long to be more the person that you've called us to be individually and the people you want us to be as a gathered community. Lord, we want to be a place um, that where um, sinners though we are, imperfect though we are, everyday people though we are, where the power of God, the presence of God, the... um, reality of God is felt and known in our gatherings. So we pray, Lord, I pray for Browncroft Community Church. I pray that you would help us, Lord, to begin with ourselves and and to remind ourselves that the gospel changes everything. Lord, help us to see where we need to change, where I need to change, how we can move with your spirit grow with your spirit and be um, all you want us to be in the ways in which you've called us to be and to lead and to serve and to share. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.